Good evening, good evening, good evening, all wonderful truckers. I'm your host for this evening, Dick Chafing, and it's lovely to be back. Feels like it's been ages since we started. No, it's been ages since I last sat in this chair, and yet, disturbingly, it's still warm and a little bit damp. I'm just going to fetch a hairdryer, um, so, and I change the trousers. <clears throat> you lot, introduce yourself while I'm gone. Uh, hold on. <sighs> well, good evening, everyone. I'm often accused of being Rudolf Hucker. And I'm the self-confessed Harry Balzac. I'm Commander Wotherspoon. Hear me roar. You've all met me, well, my finger do. I embody the bosom of my family. I'm Norma Snockers. I'm Lou Snockers. With a name like that, can you blame me for being obsessed? I just got to get some... I've got to put down some kitchen roll. Jeez, I'm on. There we go. Right. Ah. Okay. I think I'm ready. Shall, uh, shall we get on with the news? It's Cosmic Lady. Pad camping turns into naked campout. Virus system, virus free. Sometimes being a trucker sucks. Galnet lockout as Wotherspoon's ID card revoked. Beatrice is here once again with What To Do versus The Green Goo. Loose playing it fast and loose. And Norma knows what everyone does. Commanders, commanders, I'll say that so you can hear commanders out on the hot mass mission to mug every single station have been in for a treat this week with the latest installment of Cosmic Ray and the mighty Muon, Muon, Mion, Moyong telescope hitting their inboxes. This long-running graphic novel, we won't use the word comic because it makes us think of the Beano or Buster or Dandy or Twinkle is written and inked by Hutton's very own Commander Dog's Breath. This month, Cosmic Ray, resplendent in his spandex onesie, has been visiting an ice world, fighting off pods of space orcas with his scintillator, that's a spangly space disco laser rifle for those who missed parts 1 through 12, all to deliver vital firmware to Ice Station Mawson. Dodging coronal mass ejections, our hero pilots the orange ruffy through the system, navigating near blind thanks to the muon scope and its powerful zoom. His enemy, the stooge, and his dastardly weather machine battle page by page, the thwart of our hero, but bubbles of kapow and pew pew we've seen whilst reading over Saimuf's shoulders tell us that he will prevail. Save the day and, of course, return to hero his way through the pages and on to a nail-biting cliffhanger. Next month, he faces his greatest enemy yet, Growler and the Spacebergs. 
Will he get there in time in his jet launch? Will the spandex get torn just over his biceps again in a manly and heroic fashion? Will his rugged good looks and serious eyebrows cause monsters to wilt and women to swoon? Subscriptions available from the Hutton Orbital Souvenir Shop or by sending a self-addressed envelope and 20 credits to P.O. Box 4 TH3MUG. During his last visit to Hutton Orbital, Commander Bucknecked was devastated to discover that the McThargoids was temporarily shut down due to a backup of grease and Thargoid bits. Sorry, that should read a shortage of grease and Thargoid bits. Undeterred, he sc scraped off some Thargoid hearts that still clung to his ship and barbecued them over an open campfire on his landing pad. Ah, oh, bless. After an enjoyable dinner, well, as enjoyable as it could be without a McStiffy to wash it down, he parted ways with the station to push mugs out to those mugless Bamstons who need them in their lives. Unfortunately, he forgot to stamp out the fire. The next commander setting down noticed it and thought that accommodations were unavailable, tossed down his camping bag and proceeded to sleep the night away. This started a backlog, and with each subsequent commander enjoying the campfire a bit too long, sleeping, toasting s'mores, telling scary stories and the like, the queue for Pad 3 was almost back to Alvin Station. The authorities at Hutton Orbital are now searching for Buck to fine him for lighting fires with intent. I'm uh, sorry, intent. We at Hutton Orbital News would like to state that while campouts are fun, pad camping is not. Please reserve campouts to Planetside, well away from civilized areas. It makes smalls toasting and scary stories that much more exciting. The Galactic Health Organization has received reports that the virus system, 130 light years from Sol, has been cured of mods. However, owing to a possible infection risk, he won't tell us what the infection actually is or the establishment in which he caught it, Commander Montgomery Python, all-round good guy and mug deliverer extraordinaire, will be on a 14-day self-imposed quarantine and will not be visiting Hutton Orbital during this time. Commander Doc Jack is trying very hard not to look smug. Continuing our superhero story, Commander Short Engineer had a close encounter of the blood-curdling kind last week. As Hutton's premier deep space explorer, xenophotographer and lover of all things mollusk, he is used to all sorts of creepy crawlies, magic mushrooms and tentacled terrors rubbing themselves up and down against his hull. But this encounter left him more than a little shaken. Stopping off at one distant Earth-like world when parking for the night and finding a suitable landing zone on the dark side of the planet, he duly went to sleep, only to be woken with a start by a tapping at his ship door. Still way too sleepy to be thinking straight, he opened the hatch, only to be viciously attacked by a humanoid form armed with a big pointy thing and determined to sup on his vital fluids. Yes, he'd found the crash site of the long-lost, fabled Phlebotomists of Doom, the members of a genetic experiment gone wrong in early Earth-space history, not to be confused with early Earth history, where they'd have been burned as witches or early Earth prehistory, when they'd be frozen in amber and then resurrected by the Donity science base in Jurassic World. 
their adjusted biology leaves them with an insatiable thirst for human blood and a fascination for all things hypodermic. Jumping back, he clearly walloped his head on something, knocking himself out before waking with the dawn and realising that he was missing nearly an armful. It's all true. We've seen the note from his best mate Rampage. Unfortunately, it was caught up with his appointment card for his next appointment with Nurse Wyeth, which we're sure isn't connected in any way to the preceding story. To further compound the Gullnet News Writers' Strike, the kidnap of the Sagittarius Eye Newsroom, and the bubble-wide embargo of the salacious red-top misogynistic low-brow publication, the Daily Gull Mail, disaster struck our very own Commander Wotherspoon when he discovered that his access pass had stopped working. He gave it a swipe, then a wipe and a swipe, then ran it up and down through his sensor repeatedly, breathed on it, rubbed it, and it still wouldn't allow him access to the vital facilities he so desperately needed at Hutton Orbital. Switching instead to biometrics, his retina scanned returned with, please try the other eye. Both times. His fingerprint was declared as expired, please choose another finger, and then refused to accept the middle finger he duly showed it. Voice print identification misrecognized him as a maintenance robot and his DNA test declared him to be the father of half the station, and mother to the other half. Needless to say, in his desperation to access the executive washrooms, he resorted to a combination of scathing commentary and a portable gimbaled beam laser, and cut his way through to the necessary facilities, which led to his arrest. The matter was all cleared up, due to negative Yaffle, uh, Detective Yaffle of the Bureau of Investigation into Newscasters, or Boink, and the blame was securely placed at the feet of one TJ, a tinkerer of electronic systems and known troublemaker about these parts. We're glad to say that the news has been released. Commander Wotherspoon is much relieved, and his identification card has been re-released. Evening, trackers. Atrus5060 reporting in with the latest intel on the Thargoid War. Once again, we have no new updates from the Eagle Eye system and Aegis is not answering any calls. The bitch must have gone on holidays or something. Boffins at Cannon have been feeding biscuits into any access port they can on the Eagle Eye installations in the hopes that it will bring the system back online. It goes to say, these boffins may be suffering from a lack of Alpha Centauri Mega Gin to fill their hunting mugs after their recent treatment for mods. Whilst the boffins come to grips with sobriety, AXI is still fighting off Thargoid incursions in HIP 16813, Lembassa, and Evangelists. Taygetta was finally cleared of the Thargoids and a little bit of ointment just cleared up that rash, giving the hive a bit of breathing space. And while AXI has been defending humanity, Operation Ida has been patching it up to celebrate their recent milestone of a hundred stations repaired since the start of the war. 
They are spreading the love across the galaxy, that's nice. With raffles and prizes and all sorts of lovely things to anyone wanting to haul for them during the old Earth holiday known as Valentine's Day. Their current target for station repairs is Iron's Dock in Tamit. Sounds like a lovely way to spend the holidays. If hauling to show your love to your partner is not your thing, why not give them a gift of a Thargoid heart, freshly ripped from the wreckage of an interceptor or an AX combat zone? Good luck out there, truckers, for the mug and for the valentines. Would someone please deliver some of the gin to the genosis? The boffins are getting really randy at hearing about Valentine's Day. We need to put them back in the labs. <laughs> Incoming encrypted transmission. Decrypting. Decryption complete. Stand by for a message from Hexcom Actual. Well done, Hexwing. Tegeta is cleared of the Thargoid incursion, and Titan's daughter is no longer burning. <laughs> Must have been all that ointment and the basic medicine supplies we shipped in. Would you like to take this over, Corporal? Oh, sorry, sir. No, I'll just be over here uh, filing some uh, forms. <clears throat> Thanks again to all our combat and rescue pilots for their hard work. Tharg has shown a stronger tenacity and won't be pushed out of incursions as easily as before. We're still fighting an HIP-16813, so continue hitting the AX conflict zones there hard. Note the asteroid base, Sister's Refuge, in HIP-16813 has not been attacked, so no rescue operations are needed in that system. If you are a rescue pilot looking to help, Sal Prospect in Lembus and Khan Relay in Evangelis are both still burning and seem to have an endless supply of evacuees to remove. Honestly, I think some people just enjoy harassing our brave rescue pilots and sneak back onto the station just to take another trip and complain about the 32nd journey. Since Eagle Eye is reporting no new infestations, we have no indication if or when Tharg will attack again. I suspect he is throwing all forces into the current incursions instead of spreading them thin to scout new systems. That would explain why incursions were being repelled in two or three days before and now are lasting several weeks. Regardless, Hackswing will continue to fight hard. Stick with your wingman, keep an eye on the signal sources, and continue to defend the mug. Hexcom message complete. Defend the mug. Encrypted transmission complete. Who remembers Avid in Avic? I don't, and it was my idea. Anyway, <clears throat> despite the fact that I've been to sleep since then, and have therefore forgotten all but the fact that someone said that once, I'm aware that a lot of commanders put a lot of effort into securing that system. And although we're still comfortably ahead of the other factions, the movements below us, oh, not those kind of movements move, are concerning. Sirius Corporation are in second, and due to their propensity to gain sudden bursts of influence due to permit-hunting vagabonds, that is a concern as is the steady and allegedly unintentional rise in the influence of the energetic dog fondlers. The aim for this week, in between your mugging duties, is to use the famine state to boost Purple Central Incorporated and the boom state to boost our good selves. 
whilst using the bust state to drive Sirius into the elephant dung flingers. If we time it correctly, we can hope. <coughs> sorry, we can hop Purple Central Incorporated over the erotic dance faculty and Sirius while they're battling, and restore order to the system. To your stations, truckers. Over in Colonia, there's an election in Tier which we intend to win. So missions, passenger missions, trade, and general good stuffs over there. Let's spread Alvin's glory over the system. Speaking of over, my bit is. So over to Norma. Good evening, everyone. I'm all confused as to whether I'm me this week or I'm covering for Flossie, whether Lou's coming and or going and what's going on. Hang on, I've got some notes. First tonight, just in case you're not delivering mugs and instead want to blow things up, we've been invited to a Friday night fight by the New Pilots Initiative, which is just a cover for the code. As Hutton occasionally feels a bit fighty, and just in case you feel like letting your anger out on Valentine's Day, 2200 Galactic Time in open over in Santu, meeting at Chomsky, Chomsky Station. Bring a small ship, no engineering allowed, no vultures or diamondbacks, and blow anything up that moves. Show your love by giving the gift of molten lead and plasmas. Second on my list is a little expedition that started last week out in the Perseus Arm, organised by Commander Dr Nagy. They say this expedition aims to map the western side of the Perseus Arm, a most uncha- mostly uncharted region of space. Starting from the birthplace of humanity, we will embark on a long journey to the furthest star system we can reach in the Milky Way, where no other expedition has gone before. In order to prove that explorers don't need the biggest, fanciest ship to do long-range exploration, and even the smallest, most basic ships can do just fine, this expedition will be restricted to small ships only. They left from Seoul on the 8th, are due to reach the next waypoint at Bubble Sector PD-XSB4-4 on February 15th, that's Saturday and then to redo AW-E D11-68 on the 22nd. Details can be found on the forums and we'll be asking one of our news bots to post it all over Hutton as well. There's no news from the Buckyballers yet about their next race, though we think it's coming up soon to coincide with a 24-hour stream. We're glad to report that the 100th station has now been repaired after Thargoid attacks too. That's all from me and from the community this week. Wonderful Flossy!
Flossie here. It's time to update you on the CCCG. Yes, the hot mess. Saving the galaxy for mods continues apace as we're looking at 50% complete very soon. We're a tiny squeak below 48% now with more than 26,500 stations complete and over 8,700 systems totally mods free. Doc Jack is still top of the leaderboard with nearly twice as many mugs delivered as Vintwin Cymru, who's in the number three spot. Between these two, Montgomery Python is still number two, but he's taking a sabbatical for two weeks, as mentioned earlier in the news, so he may find he's slipped down the board when he returns. We're just shy of 250 commanders who've signed up and we're running at an average of over 105 bugs per pilot. All stations within 80 light years of Seoul are mods free and the Hutton Helper is helping pilots everywhere to be as efficient as possible in their distribution pattern. Following Alvin's orders of last week, Hutton Ring in Lorandi 22701 and Hutton Horizons in Blatter are complete. But Hutton Colony in Warwickair, Hutton Dock in Didarengu, Hutton Depot in LTT 2099 and Hutton Horizons in Rigo Sages still remain to be mugged. Be careful, Commanders. Our fluffy leader can turn if he's disappointed. We have not seen reports of stations with rude names this week, which either means that you haven't found any more, or you're keeping them for yourself. Our thanks to Commander Psychit of PA for finding an excellent station perched on the edge of a cliff leading to a huge drop, and just behind a mountain, that looks perfect for future Hutton SRV shenanigans. Well, that's all from me this week. Bye! Flossie told you what to do. Powerful People Encyclopedia Galactica presents biographies of notable people in the galaxy. This week, Felicia Winters. Felicia Winters never wanted to be federal president. The one-time corporate suit at the Sirius Corporation, born in Tall City, worked in politics for 37 years before, at the age of 71, she got her big break. Appointed by the Liberal Party leader and newly elected federal president Jasmina Halsey to the position of Secretary of State, Congressman Winters had achieved all she wanted from politics. Power without too much responsibility. The ability to wield the levers of state without being in the full glare of publicity. Her close friend, Nigel Smeaton, was vice president, and although she may not have privately agreed with President Halsey's belligerence, in public at least, she was willing to stand shoulder to shoulder with a president who declared Onionhead illegal and then immediately undertook a campaign of firebombing Onionhead plantations from low orbit. A president who sanctioned the infamous Battle for Loo and who then ordered her navy to fire upon ships loaded with refugees. A president who vanished suddenly with the presidential flight Starship One 
on the 26th of May 3301. Oh, the President vanished. But that's what Vice Presidents are for, right? Well, yes. But Vice President Nigel Smeaton was unfortunately unable to step in to Halsey's now missing shoes, as he was a bit busy being dead, having drowned mysteriously four months earlier, allegedly as a consequence of asking awkward questions about the disappearance of the Highliner Antares during its maiden voyage in 3251, something that had been a huge embarrassment for the Sirius Corporation. So, the Vice President died because he asked awkward questions about the disappearance of a spaceship, and the President vanished because of the disappearance of a spaceship. Is that a coincidence? In any case, it left Felicia Winters as the next available candidate to become President. The day after Starship One vanished, Felicia Winters became the unwilling acting President of the Federation. She needn't have worried, because she was about to become the President with the shortest term in history. On the 27th of May, her first day in office, Winters addressed Congress and the people of the Federation, attempting to quell the rumours. It was not terrorists, it was not aliens, it was not a conspiracy, and there had been no cover-up. Her words were not enough. Winters' own party partly driven by their horror for the atrocities committed while Winters was Secretary of State, backed a Federal Republican Association vote of no confidence in Winters. On the 2nd of June, after only six days, Winters found herself the leader of the opposition, with the larger-than-life and unbearably smug Zachary Hudson taking over as the new Federal President. It was felt at the time that it might take some years for Winters, who chose not to stand aside, to rebuild the Liberal Party as a credible challenger to take back power. Five years later, there is still no indication of a Liberal Party comeback. She has had some modest success in local politics, giving food and medical aid where it's needed. Somewhat incongruously, she can also supply pulse disruptors, which cause module malfunctions in attacked ships. Winters has made only occasional public statements. In 3302, she rejected claims that the destruction of Starship One was the result of Imperial sabotage, and she called for greater trust between the superpowers. In 3304, she again spoke up for cooperation between Federation and Empire, this time as a united front against the Thargoid threat. She spoke scathingly of utopian Prana Vantel's plans to create a database of human knowledge and consciousness as a record of humanity in case it was wiped out by the Thargoids. And she backed a feasibility study into creating autonomous artificial intelligence weaponry to fight the Thargoids, the so-called Bulwark Project. Winter's most recent notable act, at the very end of 3304, was to appoint matriarch of the Rochester family, Isolde Rochester, to be her deputy in the Liberal Party several months after Rochester's son Jordan had called off his wedding to Imperial Princess Aisling Duval as a consequence of Duval's infidelity. The wedding may have been planned by Winters and the Liberal Party as a political device to bring Federation and Empire closer together, if that was the intention, 
it failed dramatically. Little has been heard of Winters ever since. Tune in next week for another of the galaxy's powerful people. This here's Buck Naked, spokesman for Lacon Spaceways. Back again for this week's Hutton Top Trucker. How do we keep up with your shenanigans while you tootle around in the Milky Way? Why, we install this little piece of software called the Hutton Helper in your spaceship. If you ain't already got it installed, you can install it yourself, relatively pain-free, by going to the website hot.forthemug.com Almost as pain-free as an early morning dentist visit. So let's get on to our top truckers this week. Yeehaw! From the explorers, jumping around like them rabbits in a field, Commander Bowl of Petunias jumped over 56,700 light years. Apparently the bowl had something to prove. Captain Kuroi Kasumi decided to keep pulling the trigger and wound up turning the despicably dirty do-batter Don Antonacci and his band of pathetic pirates into space dust this week. He racked up another 48.6 million credits worth of bounties while tearing the engines out of each and every one of the Don ships for the second week in a row. Running missions like no other, Commander Cassie Online racked in 529 mission points this week, knocking the Nocti out of first place. Loading up the new trailer attachment to the rear of a Lacon Type 9 and filling it to the brim, Commander Light 027 hauled over 32,000 tons of cargo around the galaxy. Commander Cassie Online bought over 67,000 tons, but we don't know where it all went. Keeping control of the Hutton High Speed Rail this week, we got our Major General Nocti delivering 11,817 passengers around the galaxy. That's three weeks in a row now. Word is that his 3D printer is still super busy and he ain't got nothing better to do. Our fastest run to Hutton Orbital 
is held by Commander Brett Riverboat in 1 hour, 22 minutes, and 31 seconds. But the fastest run to Hutton in February, that has two R's in it, is held by Commander Doc Jack in 1 hour, 23 minutes, and 4 seconds. If y'all think you got what it takes to beat these scores, then download the Hutton Helper and get to flying. You want to hear your name on this here radio station? Make sure you got the Hutton Helper installed. Pick it up on the web at hot.forthemug.com and get to trucking. And don't forget, if you do hear your name called out and you ain't already got one, get in touch with us to get your very own Hutton decal for your ship. Hutton Top Trucker, brought to you by Lacon Spaceways, the only ships in the galaxy would come with a dictionary in the cubby. That's a glove box for us on the better side of the pond. That was a cue. That for the was, mug. There we go. For the mug, everyone. Mug. For the mug. mug. We will see mug. you mug. next mug. time. Where's my buttons? They're right here. There they are. Ah, this is it. Good night, and thank you for sticking with us. They're in the fridge next to the Smarties. Ah, oh, oh man. It's under the Mars bar. No wonder I can never find the damn things. <laughs>